existe dois Brasil. Somos um único país, um único povo, uma grande nação. Foi a campanha de um conjunto de pessoas que ama a liberdade e a democracia contra o autoritarismo que gastou mais dinheiro. Hi, this is Karen Zissis of ASUA Online. He spent time in jail, staged a comeback to become a candidate, and made it through an ugly, polarized campaign cycle to win the runoff by fewer than two points. When he gave his October 30th victory speech, the once and future president, Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva, sought to unify a divided country and said, the world misses Brazil. O que mais é que o mundo sente saudade do Brasil. He reminded listeners that, in the past, his country played a bigger role on the global stage. So what does Lula's win mean for Latin America? Because of President Lula's prestige, but also because of the recognition that uh, he is uh, an elder statesman now, if we want to call him that. So, someone who is recognized not only as a politician of great quality, but as, as someone with a lot of, of regional and global experience, much more than any of the newly elected leaders in the hemisphere. And, and so I, I think he's going to bring that wisdom to bear uh, in the hemisphere and beyond. That was Ambassador Thomas Shannon. He knows Brazil well, having served as the U.S. ambassador to the country from 2010 to 2013. The diplomat who now is a senior international policy advisor at Arnold and Porter, held the position of Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs and, as a career ambassador, was the highest-ranking member of the U.S. Foreign Service. He has more than three decades of government service and diplomatic experience. In this bonus episode, we hear from Ambassador Shannon about what to look for in terms of Brazil's global ties during Lula's third term. He spoke with my colleague, Luisa Leme, about how tough transitions can affect foreign policy, what a Lula presidency in Brazil means for the region and the world, and how Brazilian relations with the United States and China may take shape. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. Podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Ambassador, thank you so much uh, for being on Latin American Focus with us today. It's an honor to have you. No, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. Ambassador, let's jump right at it. When Lula was president the first time, we saw Brazil taking a kind of leading diplomatic role in Latin America. How would you compare that period of Brazil's foreign policy potential with Lula coming in now? What does Lula's win mean for Latin American relations? Sure. Great question. Uh, but let me start with a short comment on what it means for Brazil. Uh, because at the end of the day, the important thing about elections is that people get to express their point of view, because obviously the Brazilian people have chosen a new president. But what's important here is that Brazilian democracy functioned, that the institutions uh, showed not just their rootedness, but their resilience. And that at the end of the day, even President Jair Bolsonaro 
has acknowledged that he lost this election. And, and this is a powerful moment for Brazilian democracy, and it's a powerful moment in the hemisphere, and I think globally, because it shows that uh, democracy works. This is important. It's also important for the United States as we face something similar. But broadly speaking about what it means for Latin American diplomacy and Brazil's role in the world, the world is very different than during the period of time that President Lula was in office. But that said, uh, I think what Lula's victory means is that Brazil is returning to a, a global role that it had begun to assume for itself during the presidency of President Lula, uh, in which it emerged not only as a large economy, but as a country dedicated to peaceful resolution of disputes, dedicated to multilateral organizations and looking for ways to advance Brazil's interests within the, the structures that Brazil had played a role in, in building in the aftermath of, of World War II. And so to, in, in, in this sense, uh, Brazil's presence is going to strengthen the, the multilateral structures of our hemisphere, the inter-American system, but it will also strengthen the UN structures. Uh, and I think it will be a, um, a positive and important influence in trying to resolve some of the larger transnational global issues that we face, including climate change. I've got some of the news that Lula's first international trip should be for the COP27 that is going to happen in Egypt. What about, let's say, bilateral relations? What does Lula's victory mean for Latin America's ties with the United States? Well, you know, the Biden administration has just held the Summit of the Americas uh, in Los Angeles, uh, which is the first time an American president has participated in the summit in eight years. And, and that was important. President Trump never participated in the summit. And this is important because it means the United States is back in the summit process and it's engaging broadly in the hemisphere. And this was the first time that many of the newly elected leaders of the hemisphere had an opportunity to gather and meet. So this is a, a, a new bunch of leadership, uh, an important group of leaders. And we're going to have to use what was uh, begun in Los Angeles and expand that outward. Uh, and because of President Lula's prestige, um, but also because of the recognition that uh, he is... Um, uh, an elder statesman now, if we want to call him that. So, someone who is recognized not only as a politician of great quality, but as, as someone with a lot of, of regional and global experience, much more than any of the newly elected leaders in the hemisphere. And, and so I, I think he's going to bring that wisdom to bear uh, in the hemisphere and beyond. For many, as you were saying, Lula is seen as, a, as an icon among world leaders. I remember Obama calling him the man. This is my man right <laughs> And we have leaders from all over the globe congratulating him. And even like leaders of multilateral organizations or organizations like Bajo, for example, congratulating him on Twitter. The world is, is in the middle of being a divisive time. It's a divisive time between the Ukraine conflict and economic worries. What do you see as opportunities or hurdles for leadership in this global context? 
Well, as, as the world addresses the consequences of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, some of them are very evident, uh, especially in regards to food security and energy security, and looking for ways to ensure that as we and others uh, try to find uh, a solution to Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine and look for a way to negotiate a peace, that we can ensure that people aren't starving because of this war. And Brazil and the United States are the two largest food producers in the world and the two largest food exporters in the world. And my own view is that there's a lot more we can and should be doing together to address problems of food security. I also think that there's more we can be doing both bilaterally, but also uh, in our hemisphere to ensure that the Americas are playing an important role in addressing problems of energy security. Russia supplies up to one third of the world's oil, and that's significant. And so um, as, as we look for ways to ensure that, that energy and food don't drive inflation, uh, I think Brazil and the United States can, can play a, a, a very important role. President Biden and Lula already spoke on the phone after his victory, and Biden acted very fast, congratulating Lula amid fears of further attacks against democratic institutions in the country, which were happening during the election season. Uh, what would be the more immediate points of cooperation between Brazil and the U.S.? You mentioned uh, energy, you mentioned food security, but do we have low-hanging fruits that we should be watching for? Well, first of all, the, the relationship is complex and well-developed. It's something that has been built over decades, if not centuries, uh, both in terms of investment, in terms of trade, in terms of cooperation. And of course, we would have to wait until the 1st of January for the, the newly elected president to be sworn in. Um, but I'm sure that, that both sides are going to be hard at work trying to identify a, a bilateral agenda that reflects the challenges that we face in the 21st century. And for me, um, that means bringing Brazil into global supply chains. It means looking to Brazil as a trusted partner uh, that can play a role in nearshoring uh, aspects of global supply chains, especially in the pharmaceutical industry and the medical device industry and other industries um, uh, that are now in China and elsewhere. I think Brazil would be a very interesting place. For, for much of this uh, investment in industrial production. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, food security and energy security are going to be very important, as will the larger multilateral task of fighting climate change, fighting deforestation, and promoting biodiversity. Um, but I also think that you know we're in a fractious, difficult period. And I, I think we need to show clearly uh, that in the Americas, we can continue to promote peace we can continue to um, address the, the problems, the really significant issues of economic and social development through democracy and constitutional order, uh, and, and that we can show that democracy is not a status quo political system, that it has the capability of promoting uh, profound social change uh, and address poverty, inequality, and, and social exclusion. The two largest democracies of our hemisphere Brazil and the United States are uniquely positioned to work together to show that democracy can deliver the goods, especially in a world of rising authoritarian powers.
you were talking about this huge mission and both of those presidents might face a, a little bit difficult with their congress uh, we have midterms coming up that we don't know really the results yet but um, in brazil's election the congress um, that will take over next year is a much more conservative congress than what we have now uh, which might represent a little bit of a difficult for lula do you see this as a as a problem ambassador shannon well, hopefully very little, but I mean, obviously uh, in in the United States, depending on the outcome of the midterm elections, President Biden might find himself constrained legislatively, but he still has considerable power uh, as the executive in terms of foreign policy. But also, I, I think he's in a, would be in a position to, to show very clearly uh, that the U.S. relationship with Brazil is a strategic relationship and that it functions independent of whether the Republicans or the Democrats are in power, and then it has benefits that are independent of uh, whichever party happens to be in power at the time. The advantage that President Lula will have is that he does not face a Congress of only two parties. Uh, in other words, Brazil is polarized and partisanship is real, but it's also spread across more than 20 political parties. Uh, and no Brazilian president has ever had a single party majority. Uh, they have always had to build alliances and coalitions, which requires negotiation. Uh, the reality is, is that because of the way politics is, has dispersed itself across the country, everything has to be negotiated. And so as, as Brazil moves forward, it tends to move forward based on consensus. And, and that makes its decision stronger. We've, we've been talking a lot about Washington, but what about Beijing? How do you see Brazil's relationship with China evolving under Lula, and what does that mean for the region? Well, China is an important partner uh, for Brazil, obviously. It's its leading uh, commercial partner, um, at least in terms of, of total trade numbers. If you take a closer look at the trade numbers, you'll notice that um, the United States is far ahead of China in terms of value-added trade, what I would call 21st century trade. Um, the, the Chinese buy a lot of agricultural products, a lot of minerals, and a lot of energy. Um, but it's the United States that engages with Brazil to, to build and purchase aircraft, medical devices, uh, and, and other products that require uh, value added and a considerable amount of technology and innovation. And also, the United States by far has the largest amount of, of historic uh, foreign direct investment. So we're well positioned to compete with, with China. Uh, but I, I don't think Brazil wants to be caught in a, a world in which um, choices have to be made between the United States and China. They want to be able to balance the relationships. And, and uh, they won't be alone in that regard. There will be many, many other countries in the world who will feel similarly. And it's my hope that those countries, uh, Brazil among them, will speak clearly, both to the United States and to China about the importance of ensuring that uh, trade and investment can remain open mm -hmm. and that countries can continue to, to have trading and investment relationships independent of the, the, the political disputes of the moment. Do you think that Brazil could be an example for how other countries in Latin America with those, let's say, less experienced leaders um, could add? It's a very good question. My own belief is that the, the Chinese have been very successful in entering Latin America by entering through a variety of countries and entering through markets. Mm -hmm. 
um, and establishing themselves in markets, building um, long-term relationships with producers of the agricultural, mineral, and energy products they're interested in, and then using that to capture support in, in their relationships with governments. And in the process of doing that, they've largely divided Latin America. There has not been a single Latin American or South American response to China, but I, I think there should be. Uh, I, I think that Latin American countries, especially those that are producing similar goods and services for the Chinese, should be talking to each other about what they expect from China, especially in regards to corruption, in regards to respect for the environment, respect for local law. And then one area where people really need, I think, to pay very close attention to what China is doing is in the area of high technology uh, and especially digital infrastructure. Uh, because the, the, the Chinese have an, an approach to this, which is very mercantile, uh, and it's all about building structures that benefit China, as opposed to structures that, that benefit a, a larger engagement with the world. Uh, and, and so in, in this regard, um, the United States is a leader on understanding uh, the impact of technology on national security. And I, I think in this regard, the United States and Brazil can have a very good conversation. You've been ambassador to Brazil. Uh, you entered the last year of Lula's government. He left the government with very high approval ratings. And then you were there for 2013 when Dilma Rousseff faced a lot of discontent from the population and a lot of protests there. And you were acting as U.S. Secretary of State for 12 days during a transition between the Obama and Trump administrations. Given that we could see a potentially acrimonious power handover coming up in Brazil, can you share some lessons learned from tough transitions and what it means for foreign policy under a new government? It's a wonderful question. Uh, and what is little known is, is that when... President Lula came to power for the first time. His then chief of staff, Jose Dirceo, asked President Bush's chief of staff, Andy Card, if he could send a team to Washington to meet with uh, members of the Bush White House to understand how the Bush White House functioned. Wow. Uh, and a small team uh, came to Washington um, at that point, um, Marcos Galvao was the deputy chief of mission at the Brazilian embassy. Rubens Barbosa was the ambassador. And I was at uh, the National Security Council at the White House uh, working for Condoleezza Rice. And Marcos Galvao and I um, uh, oversaw a, a series of briefings uh, at the White House that took place over an entire week from all aspects of White House operations, from transportation, to security, to correspondence, to speech writing, uh, to scheduling the president, uh, you name it. And it was a, a remarkable experience for all of us. Uh, and it built a degree of familiarity and confidence, which was very useful. So um, U.S. administrations and Brazilian administrations have worked together on how to make sure that the executive branches in each country function well. The question of transition is important because the transition was a complicated one between the presidencies of Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And they, they became even more complicated uh, during the transition between Donald Trump uh, and uh, Joe, Biden. Joe Biden. And uh, in, in this regard, it's important to have open communication. And it's important that there be a 
contacts in, in the case of Brazil within the Palacio do Planalto who are overseeing how the rest of the ministries engage, especially as uh, President-elect Lula begins to identify his ministers and who is going to be um, you know, running the ministries of, of, of his government. But I'm sure that this would be um, an area in which we could share many interesting stories. <laughs> we don't have a foreign affairs ministry choice yet. We see Celso Morin by the side of Lula in every single press um, conference. He's been an advisor, but we don't have much about what is the future of Itamaraty after Lula takes over. But if you could give them an advice, perhaps, then we can close. If you could give Itamaraty and all the Brazilian ambassadors that are going through this transition uh, now, uh, what would you say? Well, first, Brazil is a great nation, and the Brazilian people are a great people. And Brazil's role in the world is important. Its geographic address is South America. Its existential address is global. And Itamarachi understands this. Itamarachi has lived this, um, protecting Brazil's immediate interests in the region, but always projecting Brazil's interests broadly in the world. Uh, I would just uh, remind my colleagues, as I reminded my colleagues at the Department of State, uh, that in my case, we serve the American people, and we did so through the Constitution, mm. and that uh, respecting the results of the people, uh, but understanding at the end of the day uh, that divided countries are weakened countries. And that, therefore, uh, it's, it's incumbent upon the civil servants and, and the diplomats, the military officers, who have made a career out of a commitment to serving their nation, that they continue to work hard to make government function well, even in a politically divided and polarized environment, and that they do so with a broad understanding of what national interests are so that they can make a clear case in this instance to the Brazilian people that what they are doing doesn't favor a single party or a single individual, but favors all Brazilians. Ambassador Thomas Shannon, thank you so much for being in Latin American Focus. We really appreciate your time and it's an honor to be interviewing you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karin Zissis. This podcast was produced by our executive producer, Luisa Leme. The music featured in this episode is Tarde de Chuva by Paulo Mora, performed by Cliff Gorman Ensemble for America Society. Learn more at musicofthamericas.org. To learn more about elections in Latin America, access our election guide at as-coa.org slash 2022. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Give us five stars, write a review, share, and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.